0: Morning, church. I believe it's only seven days till Christmas So come and read up on us. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad this year that uh, we get an opportunity to be able to be together on Christmas morning. Um, Ten o'clock, um, we're going to be here, and again, we just want to have just a, a, a service, and uh, just come together and just sing, and to read some scripture, and remind us of what it needs to be central. Christmas is about Christ. And... Um, first of all it's the first day of the week and that's what we do as believers as we gather and then it's Christmas and so I just want to encourage you again it's at 10 o'clock so you come here at 9 and you'll be waiting for a little bit (laughs) until until we get things going and at 11 you're going to miss out on it so make sure 10 o'clock next week um, to be a part of that and uh, for our church family to get together. Speaking of church family Frank and Pearl Wolford were brought into membership at the earlier service so just to to let you know and when you see them you can welcome them um, into our our church family. As I think about Christmas, I think about gift giving, and I was hearing, heard about two guys who, uh, one guy ran into the other person, and because uh, he, he went, went out and bought his wife a beautiful diamond ring, and his friend said, well, he says, that's really nice, but he said, I, I heard that your wife wanted a brand new SUV for Christmas, and the, uh, the husband said, well, yeah, he says, sure, she wanted a brand new SUV, but he said, where could I find a fake Jeep? And so, I don't know if that's what your Christmas giving is like, this Christmas or not. But um, this week, this actually month, we've been looking at the real deal. The real gift. There's nothing imitation about it. There's nothing fake about it. And we've been looking at the gift of a Christ at Christmas from the viewpoint of Isaiah chapter 9. And so if you have your Bibles turned there. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Now, Isaiah, if you, um, you know, have been following along, it's at a low point in um, the the life of Israel. It's at a a very dark moment in the life of Israel. Matter of fact, earlier it will say this. It says, the people that sat in darkness have seen a great light. And so it was a very discouraging time. We'll talk a little bit more about that um, later on. And he says, listen, there's hope for us. There's hope for us because a child is going to be born and a son is going to be given. And... Today we can rejoice is because that hope was not just for Israel. You know, think with me to Luke chapter 2 and the angel appeared to the shepherds and says, don't fear, I bring you good news of great joy, which is to, say it a little louder, all people, all includes us. And so as we go to Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, it's a reminder that this is good news not only for Israel in that day, but it's good news for us. Let's read together. It says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. You know, if you, uh, if you think about a low point in, um, in life, You know, in many ways, I think probably we could say today that we are in that same situation. If you look out at society, you probably think, well, not much has changed, has it? Since uh, this message was given to Israel. In the words of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, when he said, in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. In the last few years, I mean, it just is... It's it just as terrible, the amount of hatred and the amount of antagonism and the amount of just anger that people groups have toward each other, toward racial groups, toward people that don't hold the same values as them. Um, you know, it just, um, it just is an unkind world out there. It's a cruel world. It's a harsh world. And yet, in the midst of darkness, light has come. In the midst of darkness, there's a promise a baby will be born, a child will be given. And who is this child? Well, first of all, we looked at, as Pastor Dave talked about, he was the mighty counselor. He's the one who his ways are perfect. Then secondly, we looked at a mighty God that his power is more than enough. And then we come to everlasting Father. And at first glance, this might be a little puzzling to you. And you're like, well, I thought that, you know, the first person in the Trinity was... God the Father, and now Jesus is being called the Father. What's this telling me about the Trinity? Is there some sort of confusion here? Are God the Father and God the Son um, the same? And, uh, And no, this isn't a discussion of the nature of God. It's a declaration of what this child will do, the role that he will take, that he will be a father that will not fail. And nobody gets confused, and, and you know, when we talk about um, Abraham the father of faith, or Joseph gets the label father. Um, we don't get confused about that. We say that was the role that they took on. And so in the same way, when it talks about the son who's coming, it's speaking of the role that he will have toward people. And literally, it's saying here, he will be a father who can sustain you forever. Literally, it's the father of eternity. And so let's just have a word of prayer, and then we'll maybe hopefully unpack this, this thought a little bit more. Father, I thank you for an opportunity for us to come and consider why is there hope for the world today? Why in the midst of brokenness, why in the midst of just a society that can't get along and can't agree, that is hateful and hating one another in the words of the New Testament, why is there hope? Why is there hope when bad policies are being made more and more often? Father, there is hope because you have come. And so I just pray that you will help us understand your heart. We will help us to understand your offer toward us today that the Holy Spirit will make clear the words and intent and the hope that you have for us in this passage. In your name, amen. First of all, as I think of the word Father... The father of eternity. I think of this, the the first of all, that fatherhood was designed to play an integral role in our lives. Fatherhood is designed to be an integral part of our lives. No matter what the experts are saying today, a family is designed to have a father and a mother. So we go right back to the beginning in Genesis, the Bible, God said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And I don't have a lot of time this morning to unpack the role of fathers, but I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 2, and I just want to kind of summarize the calling that God lays on the role of fathers. And so if your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter um, 2. And I want to look at verses 15 and 16, and just kind of think this through with me. So here we have God laying down the mandate, what Adam was to be. So in verse 15, it says, the Lord God took the man... Who did he take? The man. So he took Adam. says, placed him in the Garden of Eden to, what's the first thing? Work it. Work it. There we go. Some people have a voice this morning. Okay. Um, he took him to work it. The first thing that God puts on the role of fathers is that they need to take responsibility for providing. They take the responsibility for providing. He says, you are to work the ground. You are to provide. For the family, Not only that, he says this. He says, you are to work it and to watch over it. That the idea of watching is to guard it. He was to protect the garden. That responsibility was given to Adam. God says to Adam, I don't know, you know, if Eve was around at this point. It doesn't matter. God says, I'm talking to you, Adam. Your responsibility is to make sure that everybody is provided for and you're to make sure that they are protected. Which Adam totally failed in, right? When the deceiver steps into the garden, what did Adam do? Did he protect? No. He totally failed on his duty to protect the garden from the deceiver. But that's what God says. You are to guard the garden, which is kind of interesting considering it was a perfect world back then. You think God knew what was going to happen, right? Um, in a perfect garden, he says, hey, you got, you're the guardian of this garden. Pay attention to that. So, so fathers, first of all, we're designed to um, were laid on them the charge to provide, the charge to protect. And then thirdly, God says to him in verse 16, The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from the tree of the, any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day you eat from it, you will surely die. The third thing is, he was to be a prophet to his family. He was to speak the words of God. Because God's instruction about the tree was given to who? Adam. And then it was to be communicated to what? The rest of his family. He was to speak the truth, the Word of God, to the family. That was the role. That's the role of father. And unfortunately, although we have some great examples of fathers in our world today, because of the sin-cursed world, the brokenness of life, we have an absence of fathers. Now some die, some abandon the family, and some neglect their duties. And sadly, the word father doesn't bring to mind somebody who shepherds, affirms, provides, stays close, and speaks God's truth. Instead, oftentimes it connotes adjectives like distant, aloof, passive, absent, unreliable, selfish, uncaring, and cruel. And even I found among Christian families, far too many children experience emotional indifference and self-centered neglect from their dads. And it's having tragic consequences when dads don't step up to the role that God has called them to. Voodie Bauckham, in his book, What He Must Be, in page 22, says, Nearly 75% of fatherless American children will experience poverty before the age of 11 compared to 20% by those raised by two parents. In fact, fatherlessness is the number one cause of poverty in America. Children living in homes where fathers are absent are far more likely to be expelled from school. Matter of fact, 71% of high school dropouts are fatherless. They're also more likely to develop emotional or behavioral problems, commit suicide, and fall victim to child abuse or neglect. Children in single-parent homes are more than twice as likely to commit suicide. Fatherless males are far more likely to become violent criminals. The fatherless males represent 70% of the prison population serving long-term sentences. And the statistics go on and on. And the Bible, when it wants to say that a society is in a bad spot, it will say things like in Lamentations 5, 1-3, when he cries out and he says, "'Remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. "'Consider and behold our reproach. "'Our inheritance is turned to strangers, "'our houses to aliens. "'We are orphans and fatherless.'" Look, we're in a bad spot. Our society is falling apart, and fatherlessness is one of the issues. They said, "'There is no fathers that are willing to provide, "'protect, and point their children to Christ.'" The God-ordained foundational framework, they said, is broken. Now, I want to be clear. If you are in this situation, or are part of this situation this morning, this message is meant to be a message of hope. That's what it was to Isaiah. At that point of lamentations, they're saying, our society is ruined. It's wrecked. And he says, don't worry. There's hope coming. An eternal Father is on his way. There is hope for you. And that's the whole message this morning, is that there's hope for anybody who will embrace the Father. And there's another way that Father was used in biblical times and donated the leadership of a system. For instance, Joseph was made to be a father of Pharaoh. And if you know the story of Joseph, you know that Joseph was not an Egyptian. Um, He was um, of the, you know, the tribe of Israel, and as it's kind of starting out. um, But he was an Israelite, not an Egyptian. In Genesis 45, 8, um, Joseph will say this, Now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, the lord of his entire household, and rulers throughout all the land of Egypt. Why would Joseph say, I became a father to Pharaoh? Well, think through the story this morning. As the famine, the seven year famine, was coming on Egypt, who made sure that Pharaoh was fed? Joseph. Who made sure the army was fed and so Pharaoh could be protected? Joseph. Who spoke the words of God to Pharaoh to tell him the truth of what God said about the situation? Joseph. He, he was a father to Pharaoh. He did those things for Pharaoh. And in ancient times, the father of a nation was viewed in much the same way. He was the father who was to protect, provide, and to lead those who were under him in the ways of God, in the truth. But here's the problem of humanity. Here's the problem of world history, is that we chose a wrong father. I want you to think back to the garden. In the beginning, who provided a garden for food? Who, who planted the garden? God did, right? He provided all that. Um, in the beginning, who gave us instruction for safekeeping? God did. In the beginning, who created a perfectly safe environment? God did. Right? He was a good father. Right? He even provided a wife for Adam. When Adam says, I'm lonely, like there's not a help me for me. God says, don't worry, I'll take care of it. Brought her in, right? Married her off. He was a good father. But on that faithful day in the garden, when the deceiver, the devil, when he walked in and he tempted Eve, Adam and Eve switched authority. They chose to trust in the counsel and the provision of the serpent over the creator, And if I can put it really plainly, we exchanged a good father for a delinquent one on that day. That's really what happened. We said, no, I'm not going to trust the good father. I don't think he's really that good. I think the devil will be the good one. I think he's the one we need to listen to, and we need to follow. And guess what? If you wonder why our civilization is in such a wreck and ruin, it's because we have a delinquent father that we chose to follow who didn't care about protecting, who doesn't care about providing, and definitely does not care about speaking the truth to us. God will put it this way. You are of the fa- your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar and the father of lies. I mean, instead of protecting, what is he? He's seeking to destroy, right? Instead of speaking the truth, what is he? He's going to speak the lies. There's no provision found in the devil. And that decision has had catastrophic consequences for humanity. And if you think back, even in the situation where Isaiah is at the time, I want you to put themselves in his shoes. So so at the time that Isaiah is writing, um, there's actually, Isaiah ministered over the period of four kings. The first one was Uzziah, and then his son Jotham, and then uh, the son Ahaz, and then Hezekiah. And so we haven't got to Hezekiah yet. Right now we're at the time of Ahaz. And so Uzziah was a good king. He reigned for 52 years. And he, he had purposed purpose in his heart he would follow God. And when he became ill, he made his son Jotham co regent for 11 years. And when Uzziah was confined to the palace, Jotham would lead. And so essentially for 60 years... From Uzziah to Jotham, there was peace, there was stability, there was harmony, um, there was godliness, which brings um, health and prosperity to a nation. But however, along came King Ahaz, who is not like his father, and not like his grandfather. He had no fear of God. He was incompetent militarily. He was self-serving politically, and to make it all worse, he reigned during a time when, when Judah was really struggling with its you know, sister nation, Israel. They had a lot of tensions happening there. Um, It was at a time when the Assyrian Empire was threatening to invade and conquer them. And then you have a king who's a bad leader, protector, and provider. And so there was a sense in Israel, they're like, man, the, the good days are gone. We can't recover from the bad policies that our king is making. There's no recovering from this. Society is ruined. And yet Isaiah said, hey, hey, don't panic. There's hope for you. Because one who comes, who will be the good father. Um, just just briefly, I want, just want to share, I forgot to mention that I was reading through the first few chapters of Isaiah, and take some time and read it. But in Ch- Isaiah chapter 3, verse 7, there was a crisis in leadership. They actually said, you know, we have no good statesmen anymore. Um, you have a great coat. You have a nice suit coat. You be our leader. I mean, that's how, how far things had, um, you know, fallen. There was a crisis in materialism. They were just pursuing just... Things that wouldn't last. There was crisis in addiction in chapter 5 verse 11. There was a crisis in value. Um, fashion was all, all the almighty. Just whatever, whatever you could. It wasn't about character on the inside. It was all about what you could show on the outside. That's in um, chapter 3 verse 16. There was a crisis in truth. It was full of eastern soul seeking and meaning in chapter 2 verse 6. And they said, you know what? There's no hope. And, and, but the response comes back from God and say, no, no. There's hope because a father is coming. As I think about this, I think that, that matters because my second thought is this, fatherlessness is an issue that God cares about. Fatherlessness is an issue that God cares about. According to Bible scholars in the Old Testament, actually, um, during, during the Old Testament times, the word orphan would refer to not somebody who had lost both parents, but a child who had lost his father it would also be called an orphan in that, in that time. When we think about orphans, we don't think about it that way. We don't think of, um, you know, just uh, a child who has just lost his dad. But in the, in the Old Testament times, they would be classified as orphans too. And God cares about fatherlessness. Just think through some of these verses, and I just grabbed a, a few of them. Psalm 68 5, God is in his holy dwelling. He is a father of the fatherless and a champion of widows. Psalms ten fourteen. But you yourself have seen trouble and grief, observing it in order to take the matter into your hand. The helpless one entrusts themselves to you. You are a helper of the fatherless. Psalms 146, 9. The Lord protects resident aliens and helps the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. And that's why all through the Bible, God says, listen, you care about the fatherless. Why? Because I do. I mean, if you go to James, he says, like, true religion is this, okay, to care for the orphans and the widow in their affliction, and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. But he says, listen, if you're going to be the real thing, if you say that you're a follower of Christ, then you have a passion for the fatherless. And I want to make this clear. God cares for all fatherless, even those who have rejected him. God cares for all fatherless. Because in all these verses, did you hear the exception clause? Listen, care for the fatherless. Well, only care for the ones that are making sure and bringing their tithe into the temple. Care for the fatherless, but only the ones, you know what I mean, that are trying to follow the law and the prophets. Is there any exception to that? No, it's like, care for the fatherless, period. God cares for the fatherless, even for those like us, who rejected him. You see this heart in Jesus when he's speaking to his disciples. Matthew 23, 9, so um, the idea is he starts into this, he says this phrase, don't call, any, um, don't call anyone on earth your father. For one is your father, he who is in heaven, And then he'll, in a couple verses down, he'll talk about Jerusalem, and he says, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophet and stones those who sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left you you desolate." He said, "I'm looking at you, and I see a nation that is fatherless, because you abandoned the good father, and you chose a delinquent father." And he says, i look looking at you, and I said, I'm calling to you. And he says, I want to be that mother hen, you know what I mean, who, who her chicks run to her. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I've, I've raised chicks, uh, hens my whole life. And it's so interesting to see when a hen hatches out um, uh, a hatch of eggs. And... And so if there's any kind of danger, you know, like on a nice summer day, there'll be all, the little chicks, once they start getting going, they'll be all like going around picking. And then all of a sudden the mother hen will go quack quack or something like that. And, and the little guys just go running and they go flying into her. And I've seen like a mother hen actually pick up and walk. And she's had like eight chickens somehow got jammed up in her and she's actually walking carrying them. And they're safe and every now and then one will, you know, fall out and try to hop back in. But she's like, man, I'm going to defend you, and if you go to try to get those little chicks from her, she's pecking at you, and she's flying at you, and she's in quite a little fit. Um, And God says, though, he says, how often I wanted to be that person, and say, run to me, I'll be your, I'll be your father. And he said, you would not. Matter of fact, he would say this in Luke 19, when he drew near and saw the city Jerusalem, he wept over it. This is Jesus saying, would that you even now had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you, hem you in on every side, and tear you down to the ground, and you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Now, I mean, no wonder he was weeping, because he could see in another, what, 40 years, when Titus would walk in, and they said the 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 roads would would literally be running, like, knee-deep in human blood, as he just went through and just destroyed the city. And God says this, he said, they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. I came to you as a father. I was promised. And he says, you, you rejected me. And says, no, I don't want you. But God cares about the fatherless. That's why he went, came to Israel. And that's why he presented himself to Israel. He says, I want to be a father to you. Here's the good news this morning. The child that was born, the son that was given, came to be your father. I like how the Bible puts it. 2 Corinthians six seventeen eighteen. 18. God says, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Which leads me to my third thought, is that father is a role Jesus came to fulfill for you. Father is a role that Jesus came to fulfill for you. There's a very interesting dialogue that happens in John 11 that explains this invitation. And and, and so what had happened, the religious leaders had gathered around and they said, we need to kill Jesus. We need to get rid of Jesus. Um, Matter of fact, in verse 48 it says, if we let Jesus go on like this, everybody's going to believe in him. And then the high priest stands up and makes this statement. And, and so the Bible actually will, will, will state why he makes this statement. In other words, the high priest makes a statement, but he doesn't realize the statement he's making, but God uses it because he's the high priest to make a prophetic statement about Christ. And so this is how the Bible puts it. In verse 50 to 52 of John 11, it, the high priest said, It is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that this whole nation should perish. Now he did this not to say on his own authority, But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. In other words, he said, God, he says, came to be the Father, and he came to die on the cross, and so that he could be the Father, not just the Jewish nation, which he wept over, we talked about, but the nation of all people, just like the angel said in Luke chapter 2 because our sins, our waywardness, have separated us from, from him. But Jesus came and he died in our place. He made it possible for us to enter an amazing relationship again with God. Galatians 3.26 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He said the offer is on the table. That Father is a role that Jesus came to fulfill for you. That's what Isaiah 9.6 is reminding us. He came to be the eternal Father. Now, that is an amazing offer. You think of the prodigal son, right? Who, who much like, like Adam and Eve, who represents us in the garden, they, they just said, you know what? We have a good father, but no, we want to follow the devil. The prodigal son says, you know what? You've provided all this stuff for me. Now, let me have it. And I'm going to go do my own thing. Do Remember the Bible says that after he'd wasted his life, he finally comes to his senses and says, what? There's a good father back there. And I'm going to go return to him. And I'm going to go and in confession and repentance. But I'm going to return to that father. That is the offer. When he's your father, he is your provider. Because that's what a father is called to be. He's the perfect father. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Matthew 7, 9 to 11. What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, be being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to them that ask him? He'll be your protector. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, it says, The Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Romans 8.38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything's present or things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And he'll be the one who leads you in right ways. Hebrews 12.7, it says, If you endure chastening or discipline, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there, a father does not chasten. Can I say this? There is safety, there is security, there is guidance when God is your father. Fatherhood is his design after all, and he is the mighty God. There's a really neat illustration of this with the nation of Israel. If you remember, the nation of Israel had been slaves in Egypt. And so you have the most powerful king of the universe that actually almost thought himself as half deity. He was kind of the representative between God and the people. And so he really thinks of himself as something special. And God tells Moses, you go in and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Pharaoh thought as Israel as his slaves. But you know, it wasn't the same way for God. God did not say, let my slaves go. Matter of fact, this is the way God will phrase it. And I'll read it in Exodus four twenty two 22-23. God says to, to Moses, you will say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, I told you. Let my son go that he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go. Look, I'm about to kill your firstborn son. God says to him, he says, listen, this is my son, and I'm going to step in as the mighty God. I'm going to step in and fulfill my role as a father to protect, to provide, and to lead them in the right ways. And isn't that what God did? He crushed, he crushed Pharaoh and took his people out A million over plus slaves. And he fed them for 40 years in the wilderness. That's provision. Right? They, 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 God God said to him, he says, listen, I'm going to lead you into a land where you didn't even grow the, you didn't grow the grape, grape, like the, everything's there. It's growing. It's, it's like full of food. And you didn't plant it. All you have to do is go in and harvest it. That's provision. He protected them all along the way. Matter of fact, he says, "You, you know, I will fight for you. Uh, the, the bees and the hornets, they'll, they'll even fight for you because I'm your father and that's what I do. And he led them, right? The Bible says that as they were going, it was a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by, by night. He had Aaron, he had Moses that spoke to them the words of God. He says, I am their father and I will be a good father. Besides being a perfect father, here's what makes Jesus though so unique. And this is the key phrase. He says, he will be the... Eternal Father. Because the best of fathers in this life, what? Have an expiration date. It's true. That, that we, as much as I maybe desire to be a father in the, the model, in the image of my Heavenly Father who sets the standard for me, you know, and as good as I may be with the help of God, I can never be a father forever for my boys. That's what's so important for us who live on the sin-cursed planet because nobody lives forever in this, on this world. Soon later, we're going to find our own place in the graveyard. We're not—our um, souls will live forever, and that's why we need an eternal father. But the best of us are here today and gone tomorrow. And a dead Christ will do us no good, no matter how good he was. Dying men need an undying Christ. Hebrews 7.25 puts it this way. Therefore, Jesus— says he, but that's Jesus, is able to save completely, fully, those who come to him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Why? He's a father that will protect, provide, and lead forever. That's why salvation is so good, because it's based on a father that's eternal. This is a promise that only eternal father can make. Charles Spurgeon Said it this way, he says, "There's no unfathering Christ, and there's no unchilding us. He is everlastingly a father to those who trust in him, and there's security in that." John ten twenty eight, Jesus says it. And just listen to the confidence. He says, "I give them eternal life; they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Why? Because I'm the mighty God too, right? I am the God. Now I want to ask you this question: Is he your father?" Is he your father? Can you say that he's your father today? When I was young, somewhere between nine and eleven, I, we lived uh, out in Middle Musket, and and uh, we had a few. We would raise a few animals, and uh, one year, well, most years we would raise turkeys. I don't know a flock, fifteen to twenty-five turkeys. And I remember one time, Dad came home early uh, from work because we were having um, we were having a family over for supper. And so it was late afternoon, it was in the summer, and so dad had looked out the window and saw that our flock of turkeys had gotten out of the field and had walked up on the road. That was a rural road, it wasn't, you know what I mean, it wasn't, Super dangerous because cars only came by once every 30 minutes or something, but still they're on the road, which is not safe. And so dad had said to me, hey, Josh, can you go out there and just push our turkeys back onto the field where they're supposed to be? And so I said, sure, I'll go do that. And so um, I had my short t-shirt. It's a summer day and I threw on a pair of rubber boots and went out to push the turkeys in. Well. Where they had kind of wandered off, it was a steep, steep ditch. And so I'd, I went down in the ditch and I started at the other side. And I remember that I kind of slipped in the loose gravel and I fell um, at the base of the telephone pole. And as I, and as I fell down, I felt something really sharp on um, like the top of my leg. Well, when I got off of that, I realized um, too late that I had fallen on top of an underground hornet nest. And it was a huge one. And they just came swarming out. And I was a long ways away from the house. And I just remember that, like, there was just no, no way of beating them off. They just, it was just a cloud. And I started running down the road, and I, I, I remember I lost both boots running on the road. I was, I was just flying, and they were crawling up in my, uh, like, in my shorts. They were up in my shirt. They were just uh, crawling all over my face and head, like, but you couldn't stop and try to wipe them off. There's just so many. I remember crying, Dad, 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 help me, as I'm running toward home. And I still remember that my dad... I've heard my screams and my cries, and he came running out. And when he saw that pack of hornets, he ran inside and locked the door. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) He came came running out, and remember, he grabbed me, he picked me up, and he ran me in the house. And he took my shirt off. like took my shorts and was just, he was just wiping. I just remember him just wiping the hornets that were stinging me off with his hands. But I noticed that while he was doing that, he was also getting his share of stings too. But he was trying to imitate his heavenly father and protecting his son. Well, you know, the Bible says this about us. Because we, we chose a delinquent father, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the sting of death is sin. We've all sinned and we experience the sting. You know what the cool thing about Jesus? He is the eternal Father. And do you know what He did? He took our sting for us. That's why He came. 2,000 years ago, what? He set His face toward the cross and He says, You know what? Mankind, even though they have walked away from me, even though they have rebelled against me, and now sin stands in the way, I'm going to deal with that sting of sin. I'm going to go to the cross. And He He put himself up on the cross to bear the wrath of Almighty God for us. Why? To bear our sting so that we could find safety. We could find protection, provision, and direction in him as our Heavenly Father. Jesus took the sting of your sin. But here's the thing. You need to run to him. My dad couldn't have helped me that day if I had to run the opposite direction, could he? I had to run to him, calling out to him and say, Dad, help me. In your life, have you ever cried out to Jesus and said, you know what, I need an everlasting father. I need somebody that can take the sting of sin that I have in my life because I'm a sinner. And I need somebody to rescue me from that. You know what, he is the eternal father. And his answer to you, if you cry out in repentance and faith in him, will always be yes. It will always be yes. What child is that that was born 2,000 years ago? He is the everlasting father. The question you need to ask yourself this morning is, is he your father? Galatians 3.26 says this, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to work today and say, you know what? I'm going to try to be really good, and then he'll want to adopt me as his child, but I'm going to prove to him that I'm worthy. No, you can't. You simply got to say to him, you know what? I'm a sinner and the stings are coming and they're just gonna get worse and worse until I'm in the grave separated from God forever. And I'm gonna to run to you because you took that sting on the cross for me. And I need you to be my eternal father forever.